there, I'm Danny. And I'm Rob. And this is the Art Story Podcast. Now, Rob, hold on to your seat. I hope that woke you up. Yep. What on earth was that all about? I'll tell you in a minute. But first, I want to take you back 300 years to Europe and a period known as the long 18th century. Right. So was that longer than other centuries, like a hundred years? Well, strictly speaking, no. But the developments that happened in the 18th century probably started a couple of decades before the century began and went into the early years of the 19th century. Ah, I see. It really was a time of huge change. Traditional authority, such as absolute monarchy and the church, were being challenged by the idea that life for all humanity could be improved through the use of the rational mind. Before that, everything was previously attributed to God's intervention. But now, thanks to amazing discoveries in science and exploration, and all sorts of innovations in industry and politics, things thought of as being previously supernatural could be demystified logically. It's a period known as the Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason. Hmm, the church couldn't have been very happy about that. Oh, you are definitely right about that. Especially in France, where the Enlightenment was really focused on individual liberty and religious tolerance. Religion had been the source of so many wars that Enlightenment thinkers said the way to avoid more conflict was to reduce the political power of organized religion. Enlightenment thinkers who were religious tried to return to the simplicity of scriptures as a basis for morality. So the authority of the church was certainly under fire, and if you add to that the questioning of a king's divine right to rule, you can see the path opening up to all the political revolutions that were to follow. So we have a pretty radical and very influential time all round, I'd say. I'm still waiting to find out about that sound, though. (laughs) Oh, gets me every time. Now, are you going to tell me what that has to do with Enlightenment, apart from the fact that it sent shockwaves through Europe? Well, that was my attempt to recreate what it must have been like almost 2,000 years ago when Mount Vesuvius, a massive volcano on the southwest coast of Italy, blew its top, shooting molten rock and pumice everywhere. The lava from Mount Vesuvius completely engulfed entire cities like Pompeii and Herculaneum. But it wasn't until 300 years ago that the two cities began to be uncovered by archaeologists. Amazingly, they found that loads of sculptures and paintings and artifacts from everyday life had been almost perfectly preserved. It was as if life there had frozen in time. That must have been quite spooky for them. But you're going to tell me, aren't you, that it added to their enlightenment? Exactly, Rob. Finding Pompeii and Herculaneum opened people's eyes to a whole different world of order and beauty. And if you were a wealthy young man, there was nothing more thrilling and formative than setting off with your buddies and your servants on what was called the Grand Tour. Ah, yes. I know a bit about the Grand Tour. Lots of rich young chaps going off round Italy for anything from a few months to even a few years, mostly to get up to a bit of you-know-what with the exotic local ladies while they were out of sight from their eagle-eyed parents. (laughs) And when they weren't up to you-know-what, 
They were buying up these ancient, recently discovered artifacts and taking them home with them. So what that meant was that while Enlightenment values were spreading across Europe, all of this newly discovered ancient art and architecture was also becoming hugely fashionable and influential in providing the visual means to express the progress of the age. Bit of a contradiction that, looking mm -hmm. backwards to look forward. So how did that impact art and architecture in the Enlightenment? Well, part of the age of reason was that big questions were being asked about the future of monarchy and religion, especially in regards to the excesses of wealth that rulers and the church had, all of which was reflected in the very lavish, decorative Rococo style of what had gone on before. It was all very grand and over the top, and you had to be very rich to make sure the ornateness of your palace or cathedral outdid everyone else's. So as a reaction to all that, and excited by these discoveries of the ancient world, artists and architects became inspired by the realism, beauty, and simpler symmetry of Greek and Roman civilizations, and put them into their own work. These artists became known as neoclassicists. Neo being Greek for new, so neoclassicism, new classicism. Mm-hmm, I see what you did there. They wanted their work to reflect the same set of values and standards as these idealized works from the classical Greeks and Romans. Neoclassical artists believed art could civilize, reform, and transform society with a moralizing message as a reflection of the enlightenment that was going on in the political and social arenas of the time. Yeah, I don't blame them. All those frilly and curly decorations of the Rococo style. <laughs> Ancient Greek and Roman architecture and sculpture was much simpler and much more beautiful, I'd say. There is but one way for the moderns to become great and perhaps unequaled. I mean by imitating the ancient, especially the Greek arts. Art must have grandeur and moral purpose. The artist must be a philosopher and have no other guide except the torch of reason. A painter should be a man of order. The function of art is to make virtue adorable and vice repugnant. The same truth that guides the pen of the historian should govern the pencil of the artist. Thank you guys. Always refreshing to hear some lofty thoughts from neoclassicists. I feel quite enlightened now. And you definitely should. So neoclassicism as a style actually begins in Rome with German writers and artists living there, trying to bring noble simplicity and calm grandeur into their work by imitating the ancients. They then influenced a whole bunch of other artists, especially in France. Its enlightenment philosophers were arguing for a society based upon reason. Like in ancient Greece. Yes and for a new civil order based on natural law, and for science based on experiments and observation. They weren't particularly revolutionaries, and many of them were nobility, but their ideas were important in undermining the legitimacy of the old regime and shaping the French Revolution. Fascinating. Did you know that there was actually a kind of hierarchy of the kinds of images people wanted and that this order influenced the value of the works for patrons and collectors. So top of the list was scenes from the Bible, classical mythology and history, and then came portraits and so-called genre paintings of everyday life. 
and finally, landscapes and still lifes. So if you couldn't afford a heroic scene from ancient history, you couldn't do better than a plate of fruit, healthy as well. Definitely. French neoclassical painting was all about strong lines and beautifully lit classical settings with scenes from history or mythology. The two French painters who became the biggest names of this period were Poussin and Claude. They're really worth checking out. I suggest you do. And then a painter called David came along. He actually visited the ruins of Herculaneum and said the experience was like having cataracts surgically removed. He became a symbol of the French Revolution in 1789 that overthrew the monarchy and changed absolutely everything. So I'm guessing also that a lot of the grand buildings we see from that period with Roman and Greek columns were also inspired by this discovery of ancient civilizations and I suppose the need for a new architecture to express enlightenment thinking. Yes, this is really important. The discovery of Herculaneum revealed that those ancient Romans had some pretty good ideas about how to design a city. Their houses and public buildings were laid out on a squared grid design with a central forum for city services. Uh, Just like New York. Uh, That comes a little bit later. First, the British got all excited about the Greek revival style, so grand buildings with columns sprung up in cities and a whole new French approach developed during the reign of Napoleon known as the empire style. It was all tied up with a strong sense of national identity. So many of our cities as we know them today really owe a lot to neoclassicism. Very much so, and it's never really gone away. After all the horrible wars of the 20th century, classicism re-emerged and who knows, it may make a comeback after all the crazy art of the last few decades and the turmoil of recent times. It's amazing really, isn't it, that history in the modern world owes so much to a long 18th century and a volcano erupting. (laughs) Remember, there are many more fascinating stories about the world's greatest artists and art movements and analysis of their best works at theartstory.org.